0: Again, let me just say thank you to Benny and Cindy, Josh and Lana for uh, filling in tonight. Ethan is away on uh, with North Greenville's choir. Uh, they uh, they are away so many times a year and he's there with North Greenville. But uh, tonight I really appreciate them being able to fill in and lead us to see the, the worth of the name of Christ. Uh, if you will, take your Bibles tonight and open to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, we come to, this is a a particularly special event in the life of a church. Tonight we come to um, the ordination of deacons. Now, to the person who doesn't have much church background or experience, which probably is not a whole lot in this room, but there may be some, when when you say things like the ordination of deacons, I mean, what in the world is that? I mean, that sounds very religious. You know, uh, what it means is this, is that there are two offices in Scripture. There are two offices in the New Testament church. Uh, those are elder, another word for that, pastor, bishop. The other office would be deacon. Those are the two offices. And uh, we see in this text tonight sort of the birth of the deacon. And uh, there, those two offices we are uh, to guard, and we are to operate under. And so tonight I want to, to preach to you a message that I preached about a year ago, but I hope to do it with as, as a reminder, but also maybe in a fresh way as we look at um, the ordination of, uh, of Billy Mercer and Steve Johnson tonight to the office uh, of deacon. So. Let's let's look at this passage together and we'll look a little bit about how deacons came to be, what they are and what is the result of their work. Now, Acts chapter six, beginning in verse one. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, And Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, these they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I want to show you just a few things out of this text tonight that are very applicable to this service as we look to ordain these two men. First of all, deacons are birthed out of Satan really trying to get in the middle of and divide the church. I want you to see it in verse one in the time when the disciples were increasing or multiplying, there rose a complaint. The reality is that the devil would love to get in the middle of a church when things are going well, particularly well uh, for his kingdom. You see this throughout Acts up to this point in Acts chapter one, verse eight. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He is getting ready to ascend back to the father in verse eight. He says to his disciples before he leaves, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. That's in chapter one, verse eight and one, verse 15. Shortly after Jesus had ascended, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and the company of the persons was in all about one hundred and twenty people. So right after Jesus leaves, the church is about one hundred and twenty people. Then we see in Acts chapter two, Peter stands up boldly to preach this one who had denied Christ three times, denied that he even knew the man stands up to Preach, and he preaches boldly through the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had, has told him would come on him. And he is just that. He's a witness. And the Bible says that about three thousand come to know the Lord that day. Well, let me remind you, if you're familiar with with um, with Bible history at all, you you'll know that when the Bible in those days gave a number, it was the number of men who were present. They didn't count the women and children. So if there are three thousand that come to know the Lord that day, it's speaking of the men. There's probably more than that. There's probably somewhere upwards, maybe six or seven thousand people that come to know the Lord that day. In uh, chapter 47, or I mean, in verse 47 of chapter two, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In verse chapter four, verses three and four, they arrested them. And, out and, ca- and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So we go from 120, 3,000, now 5,000. In chapter 5, verse 14, right after Ananias and Sapphira have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept back part of the money while making it appear as if they've given everything the church does the opposite of what you would think it would. They hold back and they are killed on the spot. And instead of the church shrinking, the church grows. Church grows even more, the Bible says in 514. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes, both men and women. But then we come to chapter six, verse one. We see this, this movement. In its infancy, called the church. Just taking off like wildfire and it is setting the region. It, it, it literally is turning the world upside down. That's what they said of, of these men. These are the ones who turn the world upside down. And then in verse one of chapter six, there arose a complaint. It's when things are going well that the devil would love to get in the middle of things and mess things up. It's when people are coming, it's when people are visiting, it's when they are being saved. It's when they are sitting under the teaching of the word of God and their lives are being changed. That's when the devil would love to disrupt things. It's not when a church is sitting back and just performing status quo, just going through the motions, just filling the same pews that are always filled. People coming on Sunday mornings and not doing anything. They're just coming and sitting and listening to the word of God, but letting it have no impact on their lives. The devil couldn't care less. But it's when lives are being changed that the devil would love to get in the middle of things and disrupt. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. The Hellenists were these Greek speaking Jews who lived outside of the region of Palestine. They were part of the diaspora. They were the dispersion. They were living out among those Greek speaking Gentiles. They were Jews, but they had picked up part of the Gentile language and the the parts of the culture. And there arose this complaint from them saying, we're part of the church as well. We have come to know the same Lord that you have. We have all been saved in the same way. But we, our widows, are being neglected. They're not being taken care of in the same way that these who are living in Palestine are being taken care of. It's in these days when we when they must be on their guard because Satan will try to divide them. And it's in these days, I'll tell you that we must also be on our guard. I finished up the uh, membership class this morning we started out six weeks ago and we had 16 people in that membership class. Uh, Just Wonderful. And, uh, you know, it, it always drops off a little bit. But we finished today with right around 12 people that have completed that membership class and are praying at that. This point is this where God's leading them or not. But isn't it good to have people coming who are investigating, who are loving the word of God and who are ready to get plugged in? Isn't that good? Uh, I sat last week at the uh, homecoming lunch uh, at the table with a young family who've moved here from Asheville, North Carolina, and uh, just sat down with them, Lan and I did, and we just we just talked to them, had a great conversation with them. They came out of Biltmore Baptist Church there in the Asheville area. They've moved here with his job. He's, he has a regional job where he travels all over the region, and they were back again today. Wonderful, wonderful news to see that. There are churches that that can go an entire year, and don't have anybody come to visit. Aren't, can't, can't we stop, step back and say, God is doing something among us that is wonderful. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful thing. But we also must be on our guard. That is that this time when things are going well and don't don't hear me wrong. We have a lot of things that we need to improve as well. We have a lot of things, a lot of work still to do. But it's in this, these times when there are people coming, and there are people joining, and there are people that are being changed. I talked with a young man this week who's enrolled in seminary. He's taking classes right now. Uh, he started coming here just uh, a few months ago, and, and uh, he, had, he had surrendered to a call in his life to, to be a minister. And then along the way, become sort of, I guess, disheveled with, with life. And he, he just they, he and his, his new bride found their way here and they began to hear the word of God and, and sit under the word of God. And his words to me were that I never knew that you could just preach the word of God as it is line by line, verse by verse. And that it, it alone was powerful and and I love and I don't say this about me, but a love for the word of God was again birthed into his heart like he had not never had before. And since that, he has re-surrendered his life to ministry, is right now enrolled in classes in seminary, and will this summer move to Louisville to devote his entire life to serve the Lord. That's good. It's in these days, though, that we've got to be on our guard because the devil would love to get in among us and divide us. And let us get nitpicky and say, well, we're being neglected and we're not having our needs met like so-and-so. We must also be on our guard. You see in verse two that it's when things are going well that Satan will try to divide us. But in verse two, the threat was twofold. I'm not telling you the threat was not a real threat. There were two parts to this threat, though. Number one, the threat was that the, the widows really did need to be taken care of. And that the threat was that they wouldn't be that in Jewish history, in Judaism, part of that, that the culture there was always to take care of the widows. It was always part of the religion. And so for those to come in and say, we have met the Messiah, we have been saved and brought into a finished right relationship with God. And then for them to say, but we're not going to do anything for the widows then this movement of following Christ would have been dealt a a blow that it might not recover from. So it was important for them to serve the widows, just as it's important for us to serve them today. And that's part of what we come here tonight for. The second threat, though, was that the word would be neglected. Not just that the widows would be neglected, but the word would be neglected. And the disciples, those apostles, they came, the complaint came to them, we're being neglected. And the apostles were really up against it. Can you imagine those young pastors part of this brand new movement up till this just a few days ago? Jesus had been with them every step of the way. They had not really struck out much on their own. He had sent them out two by two together. But he had brought them back together, used it as teaching time. But they could always then turn back to him and watch him pick up the pieces where they had failed. But now he was gone. They had been endowed with the Holy Spirit, but they were very much on their own with a church, the church, that by now has probably grown to 20 or 25,000 members. Think about how overwhelmed they must have been. The teaching of the word of God was to be central. How were they to manage this issue, this real practical issue of taking care of the widows? Because that was important as well. Serving the needs of the widows was, but the apostles knew that their first calling was to preach the word. They needed to study. They needed to pray. They needed to Be alone with the Lord. They needed to teach. And in the same way, today, I am not an apostle. I've not walked with Jesus. I was not there in his earthly ministry. But I am a pastor of one of his churches. And I'll say to you, very just frankly, as a matter of fact, that my primary role among you is to shepherd you with the word of God. My primary role is is that does it mean that that I won't visit? No, I will. I'll go when I can, when, when there is a need, I'll make every effort to be there. But my primary responsibility, hear me in this, is the word of God. It is to be alone with God and to pray and to deliver to you the word of God in a fresh way, in a fresh word every time we gather. So those are the twofold. That's the twofold threat. Um, I'm often um, distracted or or faced with distractions through the week. Oftentimes those things are good. But they may not be of most importance. So what's the solution? In verse 3, this complaint comes. In verse 2, they summon the people together. And in verse 3, the the disciples, the apostles, they propose this solution. They say in verse 3. Brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and full of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this duty today. This is the solution that they come up with. disciples or, or deacons. Deacons are the solution. Now, many of you have grown up or been around, had years of experience in a Baptist church. And for me to say something like deacons are the solution is somewhat laughable. Because in some churches, it's they're not. It's okay. Nobody nobody wants to really kind of laugh or act like they actually kind of understand that or get that in the room. But but it's really true. And sometimes the pastors are the issues, too. I understand that. But oftentimes we see a group of men come together in the office of deacon, who many of them probably were never qualified to, to serve in that office and they come in with agendas and they come in with power they were never meant to have. And they begin to run rampant and they create division. And the very thing that Satan wanted to do through the complaint, he winds up doing through the solution. So we, we, we've got to be very careful with this. We've got to look at these deacons. The word deacon is a word that means servant. Servant. And here he says, deacons are to be men of excellent character that could serve these widows so that the apostles wouldn't have to neglect the word. Let me just break down for you or just spend a little bit of time here, how we should examine them. Uh, He says here that they should be men of good repute, seven men of good repute in verse three. Uh, Good repute means that they should be well thought of by outsiders. Uh, Turn to First Timothy, chapter three. First, Timothy, three, verse seven. In talking about the office here, not of deacon, but the office of pastor or elder. First, Timothy, chapter three, verse seven, he says, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And that is talking about the office of pastor, but it's the same thing that is said also of the deacon. The gospel must go forward. And if a man's life is not of good repute, the church will not be as effective in taking the gospel where it needs to go. He also says that the man must be full of the Holy Spirit. This means several things. It means, number one, that he, he must be a Christian. How can he be full of the Holy Spirit if he's not saved? And, and I got to tell you, I'm not talking about Abner Creek now, but I have served in churches where I had questions About at least a couple of the deacons, whether or not they were saved. There was no fruit in their life whatsoever. It means they must be a Christian. It also means that the Holy Spirit, if they are a believer, then he will equip them for ministry and that will have already shown itself in their life. But the office of deacon is not something that a man should aspire to and then start serving. But that he is already serving And the people recognize that and then they affirm him into the office. The fruit of the spirit should show up in his life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. He should be full of the spirit, controlled by the spirit of God. He goes on, he says that these men choose seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. They should be men full of wisdom. The Bible says in Job 38, verse 36, that wisdom is a gift from God. That they are not wise in and of themselves. We should not necessarily look to men who are wise in the world's eyes. We should not necessarily look for men who are doing a good job in the business world, even though sometimes that transfers. But that wisdom comes from God. Psalm 90, verse 12 um, I won't have you turn there, but the person with with a heart of wisdom lives by the right priorities. He demonstrates the fear of God. This is a person who is not just serving, but in his life, he is. He's demonstrating that God is his authority. He lives under that authority. He's full of wisdom, knowing that in and of himself, he's nobody. God alone has right to his life. Full of wisdom, Ecclesiastes chapter nine, verses 13 through 18 says this. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Wisdom is better than weapons of warfare. But one sinner destroys much good. Here's this one old man who is wise, who can deliver this small city from the siege of a great king because he is wise. And these are the men that we need to recognize. And approve and affirm and install into office. In James chapter one, verse five, wisdom is a sign that a man really does pray. In James one, verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. The study notes in the ESV study Bible on this verse, James chapter one, verse five, says this wisdom, as in the Old Testament, is a God given God centered discernment regarding the practical issues in life. Wisdom comes from prayer for God's help. When you find a wise man in the church It is a demonstration. It's it's a it's a telltale sign of a man who spends time on his face before the Lord, who understands his weakness, who cries out to the Lord and says, God, help me. And that's the kinds of men that he says we should look for in deacons. They should be of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. And then he says, full of faith. In chapter five, the first part of it, he says, find men who are full of faith. Stephen was a man full of faith. Stephen, the first martyr in the new church, the first Christian martyr, was stoned to death, standing, looking up and seeing Jesus standing in heaven to greet him, welcome him there. It's a man full of faith that would go even through having stones hurled on top of him and would not recant his following Christ. We need men like that. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 says the righteous shall live by faith. Faith is a continuing trust in God and clinging to God's promises even in the darkest days. We don't need men. Hear me. We don't need men who when things begin to get tough, when things. Certain individuals begin to complain. When things begin to be said or this doesn't quite go right, we don't need men who will fold. We don't need men who will just say yes to the pastor. What we need is men who have their spines rock solid because of the spirit of God living in them through the finished work of Christ, who will take on hell if God calls them to it. Hebrews chapter ten. These are those men. Hebrews chapter ten, verse thirty two through eleven one. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light? When you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood by stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. For in just a very little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. We need men who understand. That the objective here at Abner Creek Baptist Church is not to build buildings. The objective is not to fill seats. The objective is not even to balance the budget. Now, those things are usually markers or indicators that things are going well. But that's not the end goal. Those are not the objectives. The objective. The objective is to continue in the work that Christ has commissioned us to. To make disciples of all nations. Regardless of what comes our way to do that until our dying breath. There are those who claim to be men of faith, but really are not. Second Timothy, chapter three, verses one through eight. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, Without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women. Who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Always learning, but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Janice and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men oppose the truth. Men of depraved minds, who as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. There are those who look like men of faith, but are not. They put on a good face. They show up. They sit where they're supposed to sit. They enlist and do the things that they're supposed to do as a man in the church. But just because they do those outward things does not mean that they are men of faith. I know it sounds like I'm preaching very hard tonight, but I want you to get the seriousness of this office. I want you to get the seriousness of making sure that those who lead us are men who fall under this, these qualifications. In Jude chapter 3, contend earnestly for the faith that once was once for all delivered to the saints. We need men who will do that. Not men who love to fight over things that don't matter, but men who will fight for the one thing that does faith so look at what happens when the the apostles then they propose this solution to the issue choose these seven men of good repute full of the holy spirit full of wisdom full of faith and then the outcome is this in verses four through seven in verse four the work of the pastor is supported Verse 4, he goes back and he says, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. If you choose these men, these seven men, we're able to appoint them to this work, then it will free us up to do what we've been called to do, and the widows won't be neglected. It supports the work of the pastor. It comes together. It was my joy today. I'm telling you, it was my joy today to be able to say to that group that were sitting in there in the membership class, That I we have a wonderful relationship, deacons and pastor. I get to come into those meetings every month and I get to hear from them how they are caring for their people. I get to hear from them maybe before we go into those meetings, maybe as they call me through the week or they they send me messages of this is what's going on in the life of so and so. That helps me as a pastor. They are undergirding the work of the gospel here. And I'm able to spend so much time and it did my heart such joy to be able to tell that to those that were sitting in that class. I love that we have a wonderful relationship together. The work of the pastor is supported. Secondly, it unites the body. In verse five, what they said pleased the whole gathering and they chose Stephen and they chose these seven men. But it pleased the whole gathering. As the whole church gathers together and they propose this solution, it unites the body. These that were that were bringing this complaint, they wound up leaving the place, unified and together. And it's it's important to note that the seven names that were chosen were all Greek names. They were seven men who were chosen. That would. In no way be guilty of neglecting those Hellenists, those Greek speaking Jews. In fact, it could go the other way that they could neglect those that were living in the land But such a wonderful sign of unity in the body was the body came together and said, let's choose men who are of those who are being neglected and let's let them serve the body together. It unites the body. And third is this in verse seven. The word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. It advances the kingdom of Christ. And that's what we're after here. It's what we're after here when when we ordain these deacons, is that deacon and pastor could not be offices in the local church that are opposed to one another. That call the pastor and pass on complaints. But that deacon and pastor could work in such a way that they work together. So that the word would not be neglected. So that prayer would not be neglected. Nor would the widows and the practical needs of the church. But those two things work together in such a way that the church continues to grow. The Lord continues to add to his church. I can honestly say to you tonight. That these two men, that we are coming together to ordain tonight, um, are these men. They are men who are of good repute. They are of full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. They are these men. They are the ones who will help advance the kingdom of Christ, and we have a tremendous privilege tonight. To ordain them as deacons. The way I want us to do this. I want to explain to you a little bit. In this passage. This is one of the only passages that deals with this. There's another passage in Timothy. First Timothy that deals with the qualifications for for deacons as well. But nowhere in scripture are we. Instructed as to how to install deacons. Typically in the church. The. Candidates for deaconship are brought and they're sat in chairs and then we ask all the ordained men of the church to come parading by and lay hands on on the men and pray for them and then they go on by and that's well and good and nothing wrong with that but we don't have any prescription to say that's exactly what has to happen every time what we see though in Acts chapter six is we see that these the, the gathering of the congregation, they presented these seven men. They then laid their hands on these seven men. The apostles prayed. And then the kingdom of God was advanced. And so what I'd like for us to do tonight may be a little different than what you're used to. It's uh, my first time as your pastor doing a deacon ordination service. But what I'd like for us to do is um, is I'm going to ask Billy and Steve if they would just to go ahead and come to the front and um, I'm going to put their wives on the spot as well I didn't know I was going to do that but if y'all would come and just stand behind them um, all you got to do is stand I'm not going to ask you to say anything but rather than and you all can be seated Billy and Steve y'all make sure you stand behind your, your husband don't mix that up Okay. what I'd like to ask you to do now is I'd like for you to get up and for the first first few people to get here to lay hands on them. We've brought their wives up here as well, because the wife is is also outlined in Scripture. And we want I I just want the first few people to get up here and just for a few people to just lay hands on them. And then from that point back, whoever you're in front or or, uh, in front. Whoever's in front of you, just lay your hand on them. Boy, I almost messed that up. Just lay your hand on them. And I want us all to just kind of lay a hand on one another. And I want this rather than it being this elite group of men who come by and we as the body kind of look at them as being sort of on a different plane than everyone else. I want the body tonight to lay hands on them together. And then I, I'll pray And we will, together as a faith family, affirm these two men into the office of deacon. Okay, so stand up and come forward. And whoever gets here first, just go ahead and lay your hands on them. All this is, is us just reaching out and affirming that they are deacons in our church that are already serving. Whoever whoever you're next to, just go ahead and lay a hand on them. This is a wonderful picture. I, you can't see it like I can see it. I'm, I'm standing above you, but it's a wonderful picture of this faith family together saying, these are the men that we see serving us. Let's pray for them. Lord Jesus, God, I thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for the church. God, we thank you that you've not called us to something and then abandoned us, but you have filled us with the Holy Spirit. And God, you've given us explicit instructions in your word. And God, you've even you've even given us offices like pastor and deacon. And God, tonight we come and we present these two men before you. And God, we have examined their lives. We have looked at them. The church has affirmed them already in voting for these two men. God, tonight, we as a faith family, in a real spirit of love and unity, we come together in this place. And God, we say, work through these men. God, we pray that you would continue to make them servants. God, that you would use them and use the men who are already ordained in the office of deacon here. I'd use them to do what we talked about, what your word has said tonight. God, that the complaints would be put down, that the needs would be met, that the word as well as the widows would be raised to priorities. God, that your kingdom would be advanced. God, I pray for these men. I pray that you would give them what they need as they serve. God, I pray that you would Fill them with your spirit every day, not in the way that they lose you throughout the day, but God, that that they would be controlled by your spirit. God, that you would give them patience. God, that you would give them wisdom and strength and resolve to deal with things according to your word. God, I, I thank you for them. I thank you that I'm freed up so that I can study the Bible And pray and spend time with you so that I can preach and teach your word and make disciples. God, I pray that through these men, God, that your kingdom would be spread. It would be advanced through this church. God, tonight I pray for their wives. God, I just pray that you would, Lord, make them real helpmates to their husbands. God, that you would help them to be sensitive God, that you would give them patience as husbands may be away from time to time with meetings or or ministering to families. God, make them partners in that ministry. That they would also reach out to the widows and the orphans and those that are under their care. God, I pray that over the coming year and the coming years, God, that there would be a wonderful relationship between myself as the pastor and this body of deacons. God, that we would be unified. God, that we would understand that we are not here for our own agenda. but God, you've called us to this church for your glory. God, I pray that in the life of this body, Lord, that these men would be used in mighty ways to meet needs and unify the body. And that your kingdom would be advanced. We love you. We thank you for what you're doing here. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. You can head back to your seats.